Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Big Neil? You bet, Lance. I am here, as always, to your left. I am very excited. Recording this podcast here on a Wednesday morning. Chilly in Minneapolis. I'm sure it's the same in Pittsburgh. And Lance, you are probably living large with 70 and sunny out in your part of the world. But... What's red hot is not the Pittsburgh Steelers coming into the big Monday night game, right, right, Lance? What's your name? Yeah, it is a big Monday night game, ironically. And we are a crisp 42 here, so uh, it's not uh, definitely balmy, and it will not hit 70, but it will definitely not hit minus 20. Uh, but it is a big Monday night game. Very interesting. I, I know the NFL wishes it could flex the game, but uh, <laughs> if you <Holy>. want to, <laughs> you know, they wish they could flex it. If you want to join us, though, with the experience, go to YouTube, do a search for the new standard. Please like and subscribe to the program. Also, the program is available on all podcast feeders. Just do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams or the new standard and Neil Kulong. And before we hop into it, I want to wish everybody a happy uh, Thanksgiving week. Um, and Thanksgiving is a thing that you celebrate. Um, happy Thanksgiving to Steeler Nation and to everybody and to the Coolongs and to everybody out here who supports the program. So make sure you guys bring it in, gain a few pounds, and uh, do not pull a hamstring while playing football with your family and <laughs> just eat pounds and pounds and pounds of turkey but that might be a nice segue into the first segment turkeys have the Steelers been the big turkey this year have we been stuffed with expectation but moving forward though I did want to take a quick look at some positives and some negative trends on both sides of the ball and because we've kicked him so much I want to start with the first positive over the the last couple of games. Najee Harris, 40 carries, 189 yards, averaging 4.7 yards per carry. What's your thoughts on that positive trend of the running game and Najee specifically? You know, I don't know how many in Steeler Nation have been critical about the Steelers' former first-round pick, Najee Harris, uh, more critical than I have. I will say this. He has shown flashes of mediocrity the last couple of weeks. And I, I say that not in the effort to dilute what I have said or try to back away from it or act as if what I said at the time was not fair. We haven't seen phenomenal plays from Najee Harris. Plays that the, the touchdown that he scored jumping over the pylon – not just the jump itself. That run was excellent. That was a great NFL run. Uh, very excited to, to see a, a good guy have some success. I'm happy about that. Uh, there are still uh, issues, I think, fundamentally with him as a runner. But I will say this. What you saw from the Steelers up front, their run game over the last two weeks, they have changed pretty significantly in, in schematically how they've done uh, how they have been uh, calling their run game. Uh, they have cut out a lot of Lance. You and I talked about this off air. They've cut out a lot of their gap 
and they're running a lot more inside zone. That's weird to me because I, I would have bet money. In fact, Lance, we just had this conversation yesterday. I would have bet money. It would have been the other way around. It looks to me like they're running gap. It looks to me uh, like they really just kind of wanted to, to boil the whole thing down and say, we're going to be as simple as possible. And if we want, do we have time, Lance? Should we get into gap versus zone? I can give a, a quick overview of what that sure, means. Sure. Gap essentially is you are going to turn your guy who's in uh, the, the weak side of the play. So the opposite side of the play. Um, I think Neil cut out a bit. Neil was going to briefly uh, explain gap, the difference between the two and the two schemes. Um, but while we're waiting for Neil to hop back on, again, want to thank all of you guys out there who are listening to the program. Uh, want, to, want to wish you guys a happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, while we wait for Neil, I just want to also, again, just give a lot of props to Neil we're hopping onto the program, um, but we looks like we got Neil back. Let me let me pop Neil back on. You there, okay. Neil? Don't know what happened there. <laughs> Sorry, I I am uh, at a loss. Um, that has not happened since I moved in my new location, which is part of the reason why I moved into my new location. Um, anyway, as I was saying, so a, a, a gap run is where your blockers basically create a wall, but they aren't moving. What you're doing is if the play is to your left, the guy that's across from you in your gap, you're turning to put yourself between the defender and the play. It's simple. It, it's not to suggest that blocking in and, in and of itself is not hard. It's just there's not a whole lot of reads. There's not a whole lot of feel that you have to put into it. You know very well what your assignment is in that kind of a scheme. Inside zone is um, you think of a stretch zone run that people uh, probably are most familiar with when it comes to the zone concept. What that means is they are moving from uh, uh, across gaps as a wall. So it's a moving wall instead of kind of a stationary object the way it would be in gap. Inside zone, instead of running stretch outside, an inside zone is the same thing. It's just they're double teaming one particular gap and they're moving along with that depending on uh, where the blockers are. Inside zone is a little bit more complicated. It takes a little bit more feel, a little bit more nuance. Um, it, watching it, I thought I, I tapped into Doug Farrar, who's my guru as far as uh, scheme and concept goes in the NFL, asking him if he could give me the percentage of um, gap versus zone the Steelers have run the last two weeks, thinking it was going to be the other way around. And um, I'm pulling up the numbers that Doug gave me per um per the nfl weeks one through nine the steelers ran 45 gap plays for 173 yards and zero touchdowns not very not very good not terrible weeks 10 and 11 they ran nine gap plays for 36 yards weeks one through nine in zone they ran 141 uh for 558 yards and four touchdowns in weeks 10 and 11, 58 for 283 and four touchdowns. So in other words, they're running far more zone now than they did. And they're succeeding in that. Um, I, again, I would have thought it'd be the opposite. And it really, it looks to me like they're running gap. But um, they, they, that's part of, and we've talked about this often on this show, Lance. 
when we talk about adjustments, the things that they're going to change, we don't usually know simply what those changes are, but this would be a significant one. That That's a, a massive increase in zone running compared to what they were doing. And they're seeing significant payoff with that. Uh, is Harris a factor of that? I, I think, yeah, you give, give the running back some credit. Perhaps he's a little bit healthier than he was, uh, but he clearly is getting more room to work with and he is exploiting that pretty well. Um, you have to be happy with what you've seen with Najee the last couple of weeks and the offense overall minus some significant <laughs> lulls in production like we saw in the second half versus Cincinnati um, it has has done very well. I think everybody should get some credit for that up to and including everyone's best friend, Matt Canada. To your point, and I think a lot of times <clears throat> fan bases and, and because how it's presented by like ESPN, Fox, other outlets that successful coordination in the national football league is like wizardry. And it's more, we're off to see the wizard, all this complexity, but at the core of coaching, it's identifying what your players do best and what situations you can get them in positive situations to get the best out of the players. Now, going to a simpler running scheme and the way people think about it now would not be seen as wonderkin stuff or you're a great coach, but it's actually the opposite. Being able to identify what a player does well, what they execute well is the goal, the overall arching goal of coaching and winning. And that's what good coaching is. And that's what adjustments are, is figuring out that sweet spot to where everybody can flow and do their job successfully. And the Steelers get credit for that. And also, you pointed about how that's impacted the offense. Let me give you a couple more positive trends over the last couple of games with the offense. And let me give, and give me your thoughts about it. In the red zone, the last two, ten, last two games, they're 5 of 10 in the red zone, uh, 50%. But the, but the number I think that's key there is they've gotten 10 red zone trips. They're averaging five red zone trips a game in the last two weeks, which is something that we haven't seen, you know, even in the big, big Ben era. And that's namely because they got bigger plays. But 10 red zone trips in two weeks is only a good thing. And on third down, They've been 17 of 34. They've converted 50% of third downs in the last two games. So we see some positive things starting to creep into this offense. These things are all interconnected too. One leads to another. And at the root of it, I think anyway, and I can certainly entertain arguments uh, otherwise, but it's the fact they're able to run the ball. They're running the ball successfully at the clip that they are which is setting up more manageable third downs, which is extending drives, which puts them into the red zone, and they're finishing it with some runs in, in some cases. Um, it's, not, it's not prolific. It's not coming at a huge volume, but it's worlds better than where they were at the beginning of the year. And it, as we've discussed often, Lance, it, it, we were not two people that expected the Super Bowl run out of this team to put it mildly. Um, for me, the selection of Pickett meant the free agent quarterback that they signed was immediately on the hot seat. 
And this was a question of when the rookie was going to start and when we were going to begin the next era of Steelers football. So while the run game, I think it's featured, the real issue here is the development of Kenny Pickett. And that is going to be much more telling, uh, not only over the course of this season, to see how, how positioned they are to compete, but where they're going from here. Um, they've got draft capital. There's going to be a lot of that. I don't think this team is winning more than maybe three games. It's, I, I put him, I, I think my guess was like, they'll probably pick 12 or 13. Just a, a hunch. Call it that. They've got that pick. They've got their own second along with the Bears second. And the Bears don't seem to be all that much better at winning games either. So you're looking at legitimately three top 40 picks. Can we see enough out of the quarterback, out of the passing game, which is really just the most important part of, of NFL football, to say this team doesn't need to spend one or use those picks in order to obtain a quarterback? That's an excellent question. We're going to, to continue uh, providing evidence to, to make that answer as the season goes on. But you have to like what you're seeing from Pickett. I, I, I'm impressed with a few of the things that he did. Again, second half against Cincinnati, things didn't work. I think that the, the stagecoach turned back into a pumpkin a little bit uh, as far as the first half went, which I thought the Steelers played well. Um, some lapses defensively. They left some on the table offensively, but so did Cincinnati. Um, and Cincinnati is a good football team. So I, I liked the way they competed in that game. Um, it got away from them at the end, but we saw good things from Kenny Pickett. We saw some mistakes like we talked about in the postgame show, but we saw some good things. Um, the touchdown he threw to George Pickens, for example, is an excellent play. That was an NFL play. It was an NFL read, and he took one of the chops to do it. The part we love about Kenny Pickett is that toughness, that that competitiveness. That puts him in position to – drive the offense forward if they can get more consistent play on their offensive line if they can get uh the, the skill positions in line with what their quarterback wants to do and is able to do you might see them climb into a territory of flashes of mediocrity which is a, a huge difference from where they were this team has scored points the last couple of weeks they didn't do that prior to the bye so you have to like that part you have to like that part you have to like where uh, Pickett is going and the numbers that you uh, mentioned, I think are all a byproduct of a lot of things working at a much better level than they were, but still indicative that they've got some work ahead of them. And speaking of points, uh, they've averaged 25 points a game over the last two. And before we jump into our breakdown of the higher than game, where they were. Yes. Which is significantly higher. And before we break into our Colts breakdown, I uh, want to, and you were talking about Kenny Pickett and, and his development. And over the last two games, he has a plus 80 quarterback rating. Not great, but getting better, being more consistent. And another thing is he has not turned the ball over yes. in the last two games as well. Two and in so a row. these are all things that are pointing to the Steelers going in a positive direction on offense. And it'll just be if it's fast enough for the fan base – and what is the coaching staff saying and what do they think um, about his progression? But let's bring on our special guest. And, Neil, you want to do the honors? Absolutely. Good morning, Kevin. Good to see you, man. This is uh, Kevin Hickey was a guy I hired to run Colts Wire uh, a few years back. And this uh, 
it, it was a task. I believe I told him on day one, this is one of my favorite stories and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm straying from the mold here of what we usually do with introductions, but I told him basically, uh, this is going to be one of the worst sites on the network. I have very little expectations for it. Just keep it afloat. Just put content up there and we'll see where it goes. He exceeded that by like a thousand percent almost immediately. Very talented young guy. Absolute blast to have worked with him before. Kevin Hickey of Colts Wire. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, You know, I I wouldn't be where I am without you, Neil uh, and Dan. You guys giving me that chance with basically little to no experience. So, I mean, any way I can give back, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to do it. And very excited to join this this podcast. Also, Lance, you'll be happy to know, former Division I baseball player. Yeah. He looks every bit of it, too. This dude's just a walking yeah. baseball player. <laughs> I don't know about that. Certainly more than me. Probably more than Lance. And and more than me as well. You want to – well, let's kick it off this way with the obvious uh, – well, I'm, I'm a cliche. I'm a terrible cliche guy. What is it, the elephant in the room? Yeah. Is that <laughs> it? Could be. You use yeah. the cliches. Right. You just don't get it right. That's what's great about them. I, oh, I got, oh, I got, I got yes. a cliche we're right. we're acknowledging the elephant in the room. Yes. See, there we go. See, I never get those right. But but clearly, it's about uh, the hiring of Jeff Saturday. And uh, what, what's your thoughts on just that overall process? And what do you see differently in this team since he's become head coach? The process was definitely interesting. Um, I, like a lot of people, I, I had no idea what to expect. I, I kind of expected them to fire Frank Reich. Um, but I expected them to do it after the season, you know, for the four or five years that they've all been together, uh, Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, you've heard a lot about the collaboration between the three and the respect that they have between the three. And I, I was, even though they were trending downwards this year and I expected them to part ways after the season, I was shocked to see them fire Frank Reich just on a whim like that. Um, and then when you start to get into the more details and the nuance of the situation, you find out that, this whole situation came together within a 12 hour span. Um, you know, they, they lose in week nine against the the Patriots pretty, pretty badly, 26 to three. And, um, you know, it was like that night, that Sunday night, Jim Irsay just calls up Jeff Saturday and asks him if he wants to be the coach. Jeff Saturday was like, let me talk to my wife. And I guess, you know, 12 hours later, they, you know, they, they came together and agreed on it. And then just like that, Frank Reich's out. Um, you know, and, and then Jim Irsay goes and says, hey, you know, if Jeff Saturday doesn't take this job, we don't fire Frank Reich. So the whole process and rationale, you have to throw it all out of the window because none of it makes any sense. Um, you know, you had guys on the staff, Gus Bradley, uh, Scott Milanovic. These, these are veteran guys in the league. Gus Bradley's been a head coach. John Fox is on the staff. I mean, you have you had your options if you really wanted a, a guy to that had the experience, you know, and not just a guy that you know, that will bring back the nostalgia of being, you know, the 2000s Colts. Um, so the, it, was, it was definitely baffling. The issue that I have with this, and I, I think this is fair to point out, does Gus Bradley want that job? Does Probably John not. Fox want that job? Yeah. Look at what's going on. If this is an owner who, it, it, by your admittance, and I agree with it, wants to fire Frank Reich, who is universally a a very well-respected coach. Ask Nick Sirianni what he thinks about (laughs) Frank Reich. That video went viral after it. I I don't think he necessarily planned that, but it's a weird situation when the opposing coach is so fired up after a win, 
he's throwing out love to the guy that just got fired on the other sideline. That yeah. that says an enormous amount about Frank Wright. Mm-hmm. Who else wants that job? Okay, because here's the thing, and Lance weigh in on this. Steve Wilkes in Carolina, the the removal of Matt Rule there with Wilkes being promoted brought out the conversation that blackhead coaches get the mop-up duty. They get mission impossible. Are the Colts not very similar to that? Is it not fair to think that maybe Jim Irsay is saying, this isn't worth hiring anybody for. I'm just going to go get this guy to come in here to be a puppet. He's going to be essentially our mascot because the fans won't publicly rip him because they love him. They'll rip me, but they're going to rip me anyway. They're not going to tear him down. I don't feel bad about putting him into this spot. Somebody on the staff probably doesn't want it because they know they're out the door and to have to be head coach amid a dumpster fire that the same group that benched Matt Ryan in favor of Sam Ellinger just a week before that's not advantageous for a team. It just isn't. So if, if you're talking about a dumpster fire situation, is it not fair to bring in a coach who fits a dumpster fire mentality? You know, I think it's we have a term on this show, sexy tanking. And honestly, I, I it, it says that the process is bad, clearly, when you're going to hire someone with no experience, which lends its point to what you're saying, Neil, that the quality of the job is not great if you're going to consider someone that has no experience. I think ultimately this is a clever way to just tank the rest of the season. And mm-hmm. You know, you might instead of just saying we're going to tank and suck for luck, part two, we're just going to put uh, you know, Jeff Friday, as I call him. Um, we're just going to hire Jeff Friday and just suck for the rest of the year, try to make uh, tanking as sexy as possible. And well, how about this? And Kevin, I think, let me ask you this, do you, Kevin, do you remember what quarterback started for Peyton Manning when he was out for the year before? The, amid the suck for luck campaign, what quarterback did the Colts start that year? It wasn't Hasselback, was it? No. Um, no, it I was, know the name. Was, I know the name. He almost beat the Steelers. This is this. Actually. Yeah. By the way, he did almost. This beat is the and Steelers, this is way before uh, my time of knowing anything about the Colts. This is 2011. Um, this is how bad it is because nobody remembers. That's this is exactly my point though. Nobody Curtis remembers Painter? Curtis Painter. Yeah. Something called Curtis Painter was the Colts quarterback. Is Sam Ellinger not Curtis Painter 2.0? I mean, yeah, I will. Look the, what the, happened to Irsay when he hired Jim Caldwell that year. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember who he fired. But Manning was already reportedly hurt. He would, probably wasn't going to be able to play. They put him on the shelf, like, immediately. They fired their coach and promoted um, it promoted Jim Caldwell. And Irsay dun- took all – it was. I don't think it was Dungy. Somebody help me out so though. Either. If anybody's paying attention to this, I don't know if we have anybody. I'm not sure if it was Dungy. Dungy might have retired or walked yeah, away. I think yeah. he was done before that though. Either way though, they put Caldwell in charge, yeah. and that felt the, the heat of everybody saying, "Well, this is a tank job. You're not even trying." And Caldwell's example. I think it, it must have been Dungy because they they promoted internally Caldwell, and everybody's ripping him for putting Caldwell in the spot. What happened to Caldwell's career after that? He became the, the front of black coaches get hired to, for mop-up duty. He's the king of that. So in this case, like, all right, let's find somebody way off the cuff. We're not destroying his career. Let's hire the guy that is in our ring of honor 
and was a 500 high school coach. <laughs> Let's put him in charge because he knows the team. He knows his way around the locker room already. It's fine. He'll have respect of the players at the very least. To me, all the evidence points to the idea that in a good quarterback class for a team that does not have a quarterback and hasn't, they've tried every washed up, overpaid veteran quarterback available up to and including Carson Wentz, a player that they somehow flipped for more than they traded for to Washington, a team that needs to do the same thing, but isn't doing it. Put all of that together. The, the whole thing to me strongly suggests Irsay is going about this in, in order to land something as close to a top five pick while keeping people reasonably competitive. He's not going to purposely try to lose games, but he's not helping them either. You get rid of Frank Reich because what he's saying is it happened to me with Peyton before and I got luck out of it. If I tear the whole thing down and bring in completely new people, that announces to us that we are going a different direction. That is, that is exactly what they did when Peyton Manning was hurt. They knew they were getting rid of him. They knew that they had a chance to go get Andrew Luck or Robert Griffin at that point. They had the opportunity to do that, and he cleared house. They cleared out the entire thing after that season. So, honestly, he's doing the same thing. He's just making it less career-damaging. Yeah, and there's a – Good or bad. I don't even know if this is ethically a good thing to do or not. It's just people are making it out to be much more boneheaded than it probably is. I think it's the most reasonable thing he could have done. Can't ask. You can't ask John Fox to take over that team. John yeah. Fox is like and ninety, and he wouldn't do it anyway. I mean, he's yeah, more of a behind-the-scenes guy anyway. But Scott Milanovic was asked to, to to call plays, and he refused to do it. Yeah, what does that yeah. tell you? Exactly. Like I know what this is. All right, yeah. we're going to do the best that we can, but I am not putting my game out on tape for a team that isn't going to execute anything. I think that's fair. I think it makes sense. And it's a, there's an interesting theory. There obviously have not been any reports about this, but there's an interesting theory that. Jeff Saturday's brought in for these final eight games or whatever to kind of assess, to see what's going on in the building, to see, you know, what pieces they have. And then there's a, there's a theory that he's going to be a GM candidate for the Colts. I can see that. I could absolutely Chris Ballard's on his way out. I mean, his reluctance to move up for a quarterback. I mean, there are now reports coming out that Ballard was all in on Justin Fields and, you know, it wound up being that Frank Wright kind of talked him into the Carson Wentz thing. And, you know, if, if Ballard isn't willing to move up for a guy that you're 100% sold on as a quarterback, then you're just not you're not going to be able to tread water long enough with retread quarterbacks. So, yeah. you know, there's there's that interesting theory. I don't know how how much merit there is to it, but the it's just that a, there are an unprecedented situation. Logical uh, uh, scenarios that we can outline plus the past precedent. Let's not let go of that. He got mm-hmm. rid of the entire organization after Manning retired. He is announcing we are going in a new direction. Now the old direction, what Ballard was doing, the, 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 uh, I forgot his name, Phil rivers to Carson yeah. Wentz to Matt Ryan, that train has to end. <laughs> you has can't to. keep riding that. So it to. to me, it, it's really just a question of, if you're doing that now, you have to do it in season. I think Irsay is giving Reich, he's paying him, keep that in mind. Yeah. He's given Reich basically as much support as he can without making him go through the motions and do something that ethically I'm sure Frank Reich doesn't want to do. He's not trying to lose, but he's putting right. the team in a position to lose because he's okay now with losing because none of them are going to be there next year. And last week was the best situation. I mean, you're you're up 16 to 10 against the Eagles. Yeah. It's a very competitive game going into the last drive, but you wind up losing. It's so, a great game. They yeah, played yeah. well. 
And it's like, but you still lose. You still, you know, you move up in the draft order and, but you look competitive. You look like a, a team that's willing to compete. And that it's is fun. one thing that is one thing about Jeff Saturday. You know, I've, I've definitely had questions about his lack of experience, but he, de- he gets these guys up, man. They want to play, they want to fight. Um, and it's, he's definitely a strong leader and he definitely has the makings of a, of a good head coach. It's just, it's a completely different game, coaching and playing. I mean, it's, it's two different worlds. So, I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely uh, fair to question, you know, the whole process and the whole reasoning behind it. But, um, you know, it was just a, it was a wild situation. What great we old school insight for your general manager. He was the head coach the last game. You exactly. <laughs> yes. That, 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 that says it all. It's just but so you talk about thing is just so easy. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I've, I've rambled <laughs> way too much about we, this. We talked about this cycle of retread quarterbacks. And at this point, um, I, I think we see what Matt Ryan is. Um, we see him really impacted by the pass rush. And, mm-hmm. and and the pack and the Colts have given up 40 sacks, I believe, which is the highest in the National Football League. What's up with the pass protection and you know, going up against a trio of Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, and Highsmith? What's your thoughts on the outcome in terms of pass protection? Get ready for a bloodbath. I mean, that's really the only way you can look at it. Um, you know, I, I, you can count me in as someone who kind of bought in to the, to the hype of Matt Ryan of bringing him in. They wanted to kind of make it like a Philip Rivers 2.0 kind of situation where you bring in this veteran guy, not very mobile, but, you know, he understands pass protection. He understands how to make calls. He, he's seen almost every defensive look that there's been in the NFL for the last 15 years. So, you know, you, you get away from that volatility that Carson Wentz had. You bring in a guy who's more stable and Matt Ryan, you know, I definitely bought in. I definitely thought it was going to be a good situation, but, you know, they haven't been able to find a left tackle after Anthony Costanzo retired um, after the 2020 season, after the 2019 season um, or 2020. Uh, but, you know, they signed Matt Pryor. He was a depth guy for them last year, kind of made him the left tackle and drafted a rookie, Bernard Ryman, um, someone who he's a rookie, he's 25 years old, doesn't have a lot of experience at left tackle. He was a tight end. Um, after he moved over from Germany. So you're talking about a lot of inexperience at the left tackle position, and then it just kind of blew up in their face. I mean, Matt Pryor just, you know, it, it honestly looked like he had never seen a stunt before in his life because every single time the defensive line runs a stunt, he just, whether it's miscommunication, whether it's just not knowing how deep to get in his pass set, I mean, he just looks baffled. He looks confused. His processing is slow, and it just... It, it was a disaster. And then that affected the, the entire offensive line because then they also had another guy, Danny Pinter at right guard. Um, you know, they lose their starter, Mark Lewinsky to free agency signed with the giants. So, but they had kind of uh, groomed Danny Pinter. who was a fifth round pick a couple of years ago. They kind of groomed him for this situation. And then he comes out, he's a disaster. He doesn't look ready for the starting role. So all of that combined with, you know, Matt Ryan kind of speeding up his internal clock in the pocket because he knows he's going to get pressure immediately. You know, that all kind of led to this perfect storm of just a brutal offense that cannot even complete a five-step drop in the passing game. And now they got to rely on these short, quick throws. And it's just your offense is not explosive enough for that. Um, Some breaking news, Lance. If we want to dip into that really quick, this literally just came across the wire. The Steelers... And get ready for it. Have signed running back Master Teague, 
our boy, and wide receiver Jamarcus Bradley to the practice squad, releasing defensive lineman Rennell Wren from the practice squad. Um, I don't remember Rennell Wren at all. Me either. He was on the practice squad. <laughs> Great. Good for him. Uh, Master Teague, though, was a guy we liked in the preseason. Um, it's yeah, interesting did. because the hamstring injury to Jalen Warren is something I think we need to discuss in regards to this game. It was good to have uh, that that second option, that second pitch behind the, the workload of Najee Harris. And we've talked many times about the idea of getting Warren more involved. I would think um, bringing Master Teague back suggests they want to have some depth at running back. They want to have some options. Uh, whether they figure Benny Snell to be a carries guy leading into this game, I, I think the, the question um, is up in the air for that. But nowadays, you sign a guy to a practice squad, you, uh, you're you possibly looking to activate him uh, to the game day roster at, at no cost to uh, the roster spots they have. So uh, keep an eye on Master Teague leading into uh, Monday's game against the pesky Indianapolis Colts. And pesky, Kevin, is the word I would use to describe the Colts. I watched that game against the Eagles. And the last time I saw the Eagles play uh, a full game, I was watching them dry hump the Steelers up and down for four quarters to the tune of like 867 points. I thought the Colts did an excellent job uh, keeping them at bay. Talk about defensively. What are the Colts looking to accomplish? What has worked for them? Do you think if if they're capable of stopping a a high potent offense like the Philadelphia Eagles, you got to think, you, you, you got to like their chances of stopping the yeah. Steelers, right? I mean, yeah, they've been good, man. They've been really good. I think uh, over the last five games, they haven't allowed more than 20 points in a game. Um, but Colts are one and four in that stretch. So it just goes to show you how bad the offense is. Um, but yeah, they, you know, it starts up front with them. Um, their defensive tackles, DeForest Buckner. I mean, he's a, a Pro Beast. Bowl caliber player every year. Um, he's, he's having a great year. He's very consistent as a pass rusher from the three technique. Grover Stewart, probably, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the NFL in terms of stopping the run. Um, this dude is just – he's massive, but he moves like a three-tech. I mean, he, he's incredible. The way he disrupts plays either directly or indirectly, whether it's you know rerouting a running back or just straight up blowing up a play, that's a guy that the Steelers are really going to have to key on in the running game if they want to get Najee going. Um, and then Yannick Ngakwe, he's been pretty streaky this year. Um you know, they traded for him in the offseason, but, you know, he's starting to come together. I think he had, he had his best game last last week against the Eagles. Um, he's mostly just been a pass rusher. I mean, in Gus Bradley's defense, that Leo position is just pin your ears back, get, get after the quarterback. But last week he made a lot of plays against the run. It was very encouraging to see because that's not something he really does in his career is play, make plays against the run. So, um, you know, it's kind of been a culmination of, of, you know, you have this defensive front that's, that's been pretty consistent, which isn't what we saw for the first couple for the first few years under Matt Eberflus. Um, you know, they would they would be pretty streaky, but now they're really consistent. And when you have Stephon Gilmore in the secondary, I mean, he's been an absolute dog in in, in the secondary. He's locking down everybody that he plays against. Um, you know, he's not necessarily following the number one receiver as he did uh, in his you know earlier in his career, but that it's not really the Gus Bradley defense anyway. Um, but, but he's been awesome. I mean, he's been borderline the MVP of the team this season. Uh, so he'll be, he'll definitely be tasked with, with covering Deontay Johnson and, and George Pickens. So, you know, it's, it's been a culmination of, you know, timely plays, you know, the, the first couple of weeks, they weren't really getting turnovers, but now they are. 
Um, that's been a really big point of emphasis in their ability to to get stops on third down and get off the field. And then, you know, they've been they've been really good on third downs this year. They've that's that's been one of their strong points is, you know, on third downs, they're able to get the pass rush going and they're able to to get the stops. So, you know, the, the defense has been the bright spot. You know, everybody wants to talk about the offense because it's just god awful. But I mean, this defense is very good. They they fight, they they do not quit, and they have a lot of talented players all at, at all three levels. I agree a thousand percent. And uh, I'll say this as an NDSU alum, but uh, don't ever bet against a Gus Bradley coach defense. If, if he's not the best head coach in NFL history, fine. I can say this from personal experience. I spent a lot of time with Gus Bradley back in the day. There is nobody you will ever meet that makes you want to run through a wall the way that, that Bradley does. And he has continued that in the, the 25 some odd years since I was a, a, a lowly, not even grad level intern within the football team everybody loves that guy everybody it, it's you don't bet against that and yeah. i think we saw that against philadelphia and yeah. again i'm biased i'll admit that but they didn't quit defensively they were making plays that fumble they forced on aj brown Huge. um it, it, massive play that was yeah. a hustle play that was a want to kind of play um, it, the Colts defense is, in, in, in my opinion, anyway, play to play, very underrated. They, they mm-hmm. play the game very hard. Uh, they run to the ball. They rally. It's hard. It, it, this is what's so interesting to me uh, about this game is it's two teams that just seem to have the same pitch. You know, it, it's not the exact thing that, that one does this well and the other one does the mirror opposite of it well. They have certain things. They lack certain things. And it's really hard to get a handle on who the better team is. I, right. I feel like it, it's just dead even. And it's yep. gonna, it, one of those games, it's not even going to come down to big plays. It's going to come down to mistakes. Right. Who screws up the game more at, at different spots? Um, <clears throat> kicking has been an issue on both sides of the ball, I think. Um, Pittsburgh got a, a, a pretty good game, surprisingly, from Matthew Wright, the guy they, they hung on to after putting Chris Boswell on injured reserve. Wright was, what, three for three, was it, Lance? Uh, yep. against Cincinnati in the loss where he was what one for four or whatever it was uh, against Cincinnati the week before that. So you're kicking inside. That's, that's uh, generally favorable. I wonder if it doesn't just come down to that. I, I could see yeah. this being a pretty big field goal game. These are not good offensive teams. They've got running backs that should theoretically uh, be able to move the, the line a bit, but haven't top to bottom uh, playing perhaps a little bit better than they have been, but they're two defenses that are hell bent on stopping the run. So I don't know. I, it, it's it's. You want to do predictions, Lance? That's kind of where I was trying to segue here. Yeah, but, but before we do that, speak to the running game briefly. Um, how has Taylor looked? I thought he looked okay last week against Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, Steelers are, are are coming into the game pretty well, playing pretty hot in terms of the run defense. You know, only giving up about two and a half yards per carry over the last two games. Before we jump into predictions. Give me your thoughts on the running game and his matchup between these two guys. Yeah, it's really interesting um, because Taylor, you know, he's, he's been battling injuries, been battling a high ankle sprain for a good portion of the season. Um, and I think these last two weeks is really when we started to see him be himself. Um, you know, two weeks ago against um, – shoot, I'm blanking on the, on the game. This is good. The Raiders. Um, he, I mean, just absolutely looked like himself. Was 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 It was like he was that – five and a half yards, six yards a clip, um, every play he had. I mean, he had multiple explosive runs. So these last two weeks, he really started to look like himself. I am a bit concerned just because, you know, against the Eagles, they start off this first opening drive 
It was the first drive that they scored any points on their opening drive this yeah. season was against the Eagles, um, which is just it's just another testament to how bad this offense is. But, um, you know, he I mean, he took, I think, like seven carries, like 49 yards on that first drive alone and then finished with like 82 rushing yards. So, you know, the the consistency hasn't really been there for the running game. Um, you know, it, it also comes down to like we talked about earlier. Now you got a rookie left tackle, Bernard Ryman. He's the starter. Um, at right guard, they've started Will Fries, who was a seventh round pick for them uh, in 2021. You know, they're both still trying to, you know, develop their games. They're still going through a lot of growing pains. So the consistency along the offensive line in the run game hasn't really been there. And you haven't really gotten that elite, elite, you know, top two guard play from Quentin Nelson. Um, he's been good. You know, he's been fine. But that's not what you want from a guard that you're paying $20 million. Um, you know, they get, they get the, the, the highest paid offensive line in the league. And they just haven't, they haven't lived up to, to the expectations. So, but the thing is with Taylor, you know, he can break off a run at any, any moment. He can, he can go 90 yards, 80 yards at will. It's just a matter of getting that consistency going and getting that push along the offensive line. So, you know, it's going to be an emphasis for the Colts. They're going to try to establish the run. Um, you know, I think I saw, saw a graph there. They're running, uh, it's like 60% runs on early downs. So, you know, the Steelers are definitely going to have to lean on their front seven to get, to stop the run. Um, to get that, you know, kind of in check, but you know, it's, it's, this is a Jeff Saturday led team. You know, this guy's, he was a center for 13 years in the NFL. He's going to want to establish the run. He's going to want to ground and pound, um, especially with their lapses in in pass protection. So, you know, it's, I think Taylor looks more like himself. Um, So I think against the Steelers who've been pretty good against the run this last month or so, you know, it's definitely going to be a battle that that's worth watching, but you know, and then on the other side, Najee's been, Najee. I mean, I, I love watching Najee play. I think he's, I think he runs so hard and I think some of the issues around him with the offensive line have kind of led to some inefficiencies, but you know, he's definitely going to be a guy they, they key on. They're going to try to make Kenny Pickett beat them. Well, let's get your prediction, Kevin, and thank you for hopping on with us. What's your prediction for the game? So I, I, it kind of goes back to what Neil said. And um, you know, I, I'm sure he remembers way back when, when he was with the NFL Wire Network, and he would have to post the uh, Sports Weekly docs. Uh, in, in that, so uh, happy that's gone. <laughs> so happy. Um, so I, I actually predicted a Colts win, which is a bit shocking to me because I've been, I mean, I, every time I watch this offense play, it just reminds me that I should never ever pick this team to win a football game. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how bad it is. It's really it's really bad. But this defense is also very good it's a very good defense and i think they're going to be able to get enough stops um against kenny pickett uh and against that offensive line so you know it kind of goes back to what you guys said earlier too you know it it comes not not comes down to you know who wins the game it's who doesn't lose the game you know who makes the fewest mistakes and you know the colts have been better in that as of late under jeff saturday Uh, but it's gonna be i mean i'm you're talking probably like a 1917 game. It's going to be a one score game. It's going to come down to the final drive, but you know, I think the Colts at home, I think they played well enough against the Eagles to where I have enough confidence, you know, not, not a lot of it, but I have enough saying, I think, I think they pull this one out at the same time. I'm not going to be surprised if they, uh, you know, just completely crap the bed, but I, I'll, I'll stick with the Colts. I'll stick with the Colts win probably like 2017, 1917, something like that. 
Thank you, Kevin, for hopping on and giving us your time. Want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving this week and, and all the best of luck. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate it, Kevin. Give Thank you, Neil. Best. I appreciate it. See I will. Buddy. Thank you. You want to hop into predictions, me and you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a wait it, before we hop into our predictions. There was, I think, uh, from Sunday, uh, you want there was something about George Pickens that you wanted to say. And I know we got a comment. Uh, one of the listeners commented and said, you, you didn't jump into that. So before we jump into our predictions, jump into that real quick. Yeah, and, and the momentum of this has died quite a bit. Um, usually around this time, and probably more yesterday, I think we would have heard uh, the chatter come from the, 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 source, uh, the source crowd within media in regards to George Pickens and his actions at the end of the game that got him uh, ejected. Watching what he did... It, what I was going to say was it, it looks to me like the threshold for a suspension. I would not be surprised if we hear for, about that uh, fairly soon. Um, the point that I was going to make on the show was while Steelers fans are gnashing their teeth over the loss, you're not really paying attention to what we saw. I mean, it, it at that point, Tyler Boyd, who recovered the onside kick, was defenseless. He was lying on his back on the ground. Pickens dove into him head first, basically. The reason I called it out, um, not just because it's obvious that's just a no-no to anybody. I don't care who it was. That's dirty. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that, regardless of how frustrated you are. Uh, we might remember a while back, five, six years ago, when, when Rob Gronkowski was with the Patriots, uh, Tredavious White made a play on him and on the ball and he was lying on the ground in a prone position, very similar to that. Gronk was upset with the lack of a call on it, and Gronk basically did the same thing that Pickens did. A little bit more intent, and certainly the, the, the camera angle of it uh, and the frustration that uh, Gronkowski showed probably fed into this a little bit, but Gronkowski got suspended. Um, my opinion, I don't know this for fact, but hint, hint, wink, wink, um, the NFL oftentimes floats things that they feel kind of on the fence about. And it's not that they don't, it's not that they're letting the fans decide, but they'll put out the feelers for what the situation is. So if we were to see, um, you know, sources tell me that the NFL is considering a suspension for Steelers uh, wide receiver, George Pickens, if that's coming out from Rappaport from Adam Schefter, the league oftentimes looks at the response to that as part of their decision. We haven't seen that uh, through Tuesday is usually the day that you would see it. I kind of thought we'd see something about that Tuesday because they're not going to wait until Wednesday to suspend somebody. Uh, if, if they need to be suspended, they're going to do that earlier in the week rather than later. But um, I think a fine is certainly warranted. It's kind of hard to throw somebody out of a game, regardless of how much time is left. Uh, and not give them some type of punishment. We usually hear about fines come Friday. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, though, at 11.02 a.m. Eastern, we don't hear something about this uh, in the coming hours because, to be honest, it, it was pretty dirty. Um, Pickens is an emotional guy. We are Pickett. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm doing it backwards. Pickens is an emotional guy. He's gotten in issues with, uh, you know, fighting or whatever uh, during games in college. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm just saying that that was 
pretty dirty. Um, you, you really can't do that. Uh, I would absolutely expect a fine. When we hear about a fine, it's usually on Friday. It's usually leaked from the player or the agent. Um, stay tuned to that, Lance. But if we're talking suspension, I think it's something we probably would have heard about by now. I'm kind of surprised we didn't, though. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I, I think they're all good there. Uh, so, so let's jump into predictions. Let me give you my prediction. I'm going to give the same numbers that our guest gave, uh, that Kevin gave. And I'm going to. I was going to pick the Steelers. I was feeling frisky, but these are two bad football teams, and I think it's a game where you know whoever makes the least mistakes. I think you guys are correct. I think the Steelers are trending well on defense in certain areas. You know, 6 of 21 on third down conversions. Last two games, been pretty good against the running game. 2.9 yards per carry. But where they haven't been good is giving up big plays in the passing game. Teams are averaging close to about 13.5 yards per completion. It was close to 15 yards. But the good thing for them in this game is Matt Ryan can't throw the ball 30 yards. So because of that, I think the Steelers' biggest issue going into the game in their secondary will not get exploited. I think the Colts' offensive line is not very good. But I think you could say the same things about the Steelers. That, that it's on the road, uh, Monday night football, um, I think it's going to be tough. I think this is going to be an experience where the, the rookie quarterback and Kenny Pickett plays okay, but not great. Um, so I like the Colts to win this game in a field goal fest 20-17. to 17. It's hard to avoid that score. I just there, There's just something about primetime games with bad teams that really bring out the worst in, in both teams. Um, because of that, I feel like if, if you think of it like this, if both team, if both the Colts and the Steelers play poorly for their standards, you would think it would be a low scoring game. It's because of that. Like, I can't decide if this is going to be 37, 34 or 13 to 10, you know, it, it, to me, it's really going to come down to which team makes, uh, uh, fewer mistakes. And because of that, I just, I'm going to give the coaching advantage more weight than perhaps I would. I'm going to go. Um, I, I just, I think the Steelers are going to put something together. That's going to eventually break the Colts down. I'm going to say Steelers 27 Colts 23, and it's going to be down to the wire. And I, this is the least confident I felt about picking a game this year, which is why I'm kind of erring more on the side of, I just think points are going to be scored because I don't have a logical reason to tell you why they will be. And I've been wrong about everything. So uh, there, there, there will be there will be points in this game. I don't think it'll be very attractive. Uh, it's not going to be a well played game. In the end, though, I think the old school running backs are going to decide this. And I think the Steelers will eventually get the best of the Colts in that regard. Steelers twenty seven, Colts twenty three. That's interesting. That that that's interesting. I mean, th- this this truly is a hard. I, and I think games to pick between two bad teams is the hardest i'd rather pick two good teams you know what good what bad that that's better but you know two bad teams man um but this might be one of the few matchups where i actually think kenny pickett is the better player at quarterback because matt ryan is not good he's no longer uh an elite player 
physically he just can't do it. Uh, but before we get out of here, uh, uh, what's the star of the Thanksgiving table at the Coolongs? Is it turkey? Is it ham? Is it fish? Crab? We what, are the we are very star? much we are very much an Irish family. Um, it, it's falling on me now for for this responsibility, but I've got like five bags of potatoes I got to peel, cut, and boil to make up the mashed potatoes. That really is kind of the highlight of everything. Um, we are not a strong culinary people. So the turkey piece of it is what it is. You don't worry so much about that. It, it really, it's the sides. Um, we're not foodies either. Uh, this is just me. I'm sure this is an unpopular opinion, but foodies at Thanksgiving are the absolute worst. Not the time to try out your weird thing that, that you found somewhere. No, no. Um, it, we, we go with the classics. It really is a, a, a turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing. Um, some like cranberries. I'm not a big fan. Um, peas. It, it's not overly dramatic. You know, it really isn't made for, for style or it, it's much more substance over style, I guess I should say. And I'm looking forward to it because I'll, I'll make the hell out of mashed potatoes if I get to eat mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. <laughs> Huge it's mashed potatoes. It's funny me and my wife were we're we're talking about mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Never had mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Always have had macaroni and cheese though. And our Thanksgiving is I can get definitely that. traditional southern soul food Christmas. I mean, not Christmas, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Turkey, ham, greens, green beans, uh mac and cheese, dressing, sweet potato pie, peach cobbler. Rolls, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I'm talking just the dinner part of it. As far as the dessert goes, my sister is a, a, a baker. Um, she makes an apple pie, a pumpkin pie, and I make her make pumpkin bars. Which I'm an absolute huge fan of pumpkin bars. I'll eat the entire damn pan. I'm not even kidding. I will. I don't have whatever digestive enzyme it is to tell you that it, you're full after eating too much like <laughs> baked goods. I'll eat the whole bleeping thing most likely look for me in a diabetic coma come Thursday night because I will have eaten anywhere from a dozen to two dozen pumpkin bars with like <laughs> half a gallon of milk minimum. Just for the record, two double H, we are not Minnesotans. My, we're, we're from Pittsburgh. We happen to live in Minnesota, but that's uh, our roots are Irish Catholic Pittsburgh through and through. In other words, just because I know she isn't listening. My mom is not a great cook. <laughs> it's, it was not something that was passed down. Um, the, it, it, I'm Hispanic on my, uh, on my father's side. Uh, my grandmother was from Puerto Rico. She could cook the oven down. And I, I didn't know what I had when I was younger. Unfortunately, she passed away some time ago. But it, uh, unbelievable food that she would make. I miss that dearly, as did my, my dad. Um, might explain the size difference between my dad and my mom. <laughs> um, it, yes, when it comes to Thanksgiving, stuff like that, it, it's very traditional. We are not a great cooking family, which, yes, people in Minnesota are oftentimes accused of that as well. Um, I am not here to confirm or deny that. I'm just saying that we are not from Minnesota originally. We are not Minis native well, Minnesotans. I will definitely say my wife is a very, very good cook. And, uh, my mom was a good cook grandmother. I mean, so Thanksgiving has always been, 
Um, you know, you just eat sides for three or four days Love uh, it. for the most part and watch bad football because uh, mm-hmm. of short preparation on Thursday. Uh, but the Cowboys look very good. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the Cowboys Giants. The Cowboys look scary. And if OBJ goes to the Cowboys, which, which he, he will, I, you know, you know that's if, happening. If that 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 Cowboys 49ers rematch uh, is going to be something because I think those are in my opinion, the two best teams in the NFC. Uh, I'll tell you what, if we want to get into this, the one team Dallas does not want to play is San Francisco. <laughs> yes, Micah they Parsons. do not. Micah Parsons will have to attack the entire game on the other side of the formation. Uh, they don't want to have to do that. They like moving him around. But Trent Williams is an absolute beast, in my opinion, um, legitimately an MVP candidate this year. The level that he's playing at is just insane might be the best year an offensive lineman has ever had in the NFL. He's that good. Um, They get everything together offensively. They've got the most innovative defense in the league. San Francisco is going to be a really tough team to beat. I mean, their their issue is the same issue every year. It's Jimmy G. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Same guy, same position, same problem. (laughs) It's the same thing every year. I mean, because they're loaded now. That's how badly they were waiting to, to not have him play. He didn't even have him participate in anything. They just had him sit around, yeah. and then Trey gets hurt. And roster wise, I mean, they're 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 loaded. They got the two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They got the two running backs. Yep. Uh, they got the tight end. They got the system. They got the coach. They got a solid offensive line. I mean, they're damn, loaded. Damn good team. And yeah. and 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 when you see somebody beat a division, put thirty eight and beat a divisional opponent thirty eight to ten, that tells you that there's some good coaching, because Arizona knows. Phil, uh, excuse me, uh, San Francisco very well, and have given them some tough games uh, over yeah. the last few years. But man, Arizona, though, you, as you have probably heard, former Steelers offensive line coach and uh, was the uh, Arizona Cardinals offensive line coach was um, he was fired after an alleged incident that happened in Mexico City when they were there on Monday. Uh, Sean Coogler was and currently is being accused of groping a woman per Josh Weinfuss of uh, ESPN saying that the indiscretional act that he committed was enough for them to uh, can him uh, Sunday before the game. Right. When we, we happened to see that when it came out and it was like, Oh, that's bad. (laughs) That's not a, um, I can't remember his name. That's not a Todd Downing Titans offensive coordinator DUI type of situation. That's much, much worse. Um, not that either one of them are good, but it, it, bad situation there um, for the former Steelers offensive line coach. But Arizona, Arizona was probably going to get rolled anyway. But you have that leading into the game, you're done. <laughs> There's just no way. <clears> that whole team's a dumpster fire. Um, I Cliff is not making it through the season. There's going to be an opening there as well. Yeah, and you got a talented quarterback if you can get him to, as it seems, prof- to professionally uh take put the work in uh you know and and speaking of that uh before we get out of here that's one thing we've seen uh with Kenny Pickett is you have not heard that Kenny Pickett doesn't take it seriously you've heard quite in in fact the opposite that he's a worker and that he respects the craft and the position and the level of work that it takes to be a quality pro unlike Ryan Wilson who uh yeah is not a professional 
And you can you can really see the difference as he tried to abdicate his responsibility to I watched that game too. They were bad offensively. I, I you're more man than me if you were able to sit through that whole thing. What a oh my god, his numbers were that his numbers were reminiscent or they were similar to uh there being an ice storm during the game or there's 65 mile an hour winds or something like that. Mac Jones literally had three times better of a game than Zach Wilson did. And Mac Jones isn't any good. Wilson was terrible. I mean, it, it, offensively, they were terrible. It's not all on him. But yeah, the comment after the game, uh, this this broke during the show as well. I'm not sure if this is what you were referring to, uh, Lance, or not. But uh, uh, Jets coach Robert Saleh said that uh, Zach Wilson will not start. Um, come Sunday in their game. They, they're they going to bench him, and I think that's probably the best thing for him, and it's probably the best thing for their team. And the Jets are 6-4. Are and four. They're in playoff position right now. Uh, for them to go to that level, to start Mike White, you remember the Mike White hype from last year? Uh, yes. Joe Flacco is was demoted to third string, by the way. Um, for them to do that in the middle of it, that that's a bold statement. But it really goes to show um, that the lack of professional maturity of your second year starting quarterback. And it, it sometimes you, you have to fall on the sword and that's part of being the head of the team. That's what the quarterback is there for. They get all the hype. They get far more praise than any other player, regardless of what they do. If they win the game, the quarterback is great in, in the eyes of everybody. They get paid the most. Um, not that Wilson is now, but that's the position that that's what he's setting himself up for. For him to say, he didn't let the defense down after what could in, in fair conditions, what can legitimately be said is one of the worst passing games in the history of the NFL for a healthy player in, in fair conditions. It, it, it's appalling. The reason they ask you that question is so you have the opportunity to shoulder the responsibility because you're the captain of the team. They're not going to go ask Quinn and Williams that there's a reason. It falls on the quarterback, and the quarterback was horrendous. It's just—it's amazing to me that he's that—he's that dumb. And, but and, and yeah. he and he almost threw a couple of picks in the game as well, on on the limited chances that they gave him. Yeah, that 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 was pretty bad. It also uh, kind of highlights, uh, you know, how poorly the Steelers played against the Jets uh, when he actually got hot and tore the Steelers up. Um, in the second half of their loss to the Jets. But I think it also speaks to uh, Salah's uh, power in the organization um, that uh, in, in, in a contest between those two, it looks like this case, the quarterback will probably lose. They've done a fantastic job defensively, and, and I think that will be what probably will keep Salah's job because they oh. look like they've got it wrong with the quarterback. So but, might be uh, the best Jets coach ever right now. <laughs> he can't. He, he has the scratch to make that decision, and that's why he's making it. Because legitimately, it's compete for the playoffs or lose the locker room, and he's choosing yes. the locker room over the thought of competing for the playoffs. But I personally, I think it's an easy enough decision. Your quarterback played terribly last week. I mean, that in and of itself against a good Patriots defensive team, fine. He was awful. If you're going to tell the rest of your team, no, no, we can fix it. He's fine. Don't worry about it. Just let him throw shots at you in the media. 
I can't fly, not with a team that's dominant defensively the way that they are. The, the message has to be sent, and that's exactly what he's doing. I, I love the fact that he's doing that. I love Robert Saleh as a coach. I, I, I really um, – also, if we want to get into this, maybe a special episode sometime, Demeco Ryans is from the Robert Saleh School of Defense, and you can see it too. This is why I would hire uh, uh, Demeco Ryans as my head coach. If I had a team next year, I would do that for sure. Uh, Saleh will have success. Uh, they've got problems offensively for sure. They have weapons there. The quarterback needs to to step up a bit. But you know, I follow a team with a quarterback that needs to step up a bit. I'm not saying that Zach Wilson's career is over, but he made a mistake, and I think there's a price within the team. There, there's an internal price that has to be paid, and I think that's what Saleh is going to make him do. And that's good. That that's another sign of good coaching. But we're going to get out of here. And Neil, I want to thank you especially for being big, Neil on the left and uh, I think it's been a fantastic season of the show and and I encourage you guys to like and subscribe to the program but with that we're going to get out of here and as always tune in tell a friend and subscribe